last week, all, no, no, not last week, all of this week, I have completely geeked out on the imagery of Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, and I have been especially geeking out on this imagery of Eden. This is some beautiful imagery, and here, here's what has happened. It has forever changed the way that I am reading the Bible. And I'm not over-exaggerating here. It has forever changed the way that I'm going to read the Bible. And the images of Eden, here's what we're going to call them. We're going to call the images of Eden this mountain garden of God. And so you picture this mountain garden, this garden on top of a mountain where God is. And then at the bottom are these raging seas. So that's the image that I want you to hold on to today. And what happens is this imagery of Eden is picked up by the later writers of the Bible, and they're weaving everything that they're saying into this imagery that we find in Eden. And if you will listen in very closely, you're going to see the beauty of Scripture, and you're going to see the genius, how masterful it is, what God is doing as he's bringing his word through his people as Scripture goes on. The later writers picking this up. So today, if you're going to listen in, if you will do it, it's going to change the way you're going to read the Bible. I promise you it's going to happen. And so, for example, just here, here's one example, two examples, actually. We picture this mountain garden of Eden where God is present, okay, protecting us from the raging seas of sin and death. And then, in Matthew, Jesus goes up upon a mountain to be tempted by Satan. He's going up upon the mountain as if he's going up upon the mountain of Eden to be tempted by Satan. But he passes the test that humanity fails on our behalf. Okay, watch this. Philippians chapter 2, there's this place where it's talking about Jesus, that though he's equal to God in substance and power, he's not counting equality with God something to be what? Grasped. How are Adam and Eve tempted in the garden? They're tempted that if they grasp this fruit, it's going to make them equal with God. The grasp, it's everywhere. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. I, I hope that you get as excited about this as I'm as excited about this. So I'm going to tell you, it's going to change the way that you read the Bible, but this is going to be one of those sermons where you have to really listen in closely, because if you miss part of it, you're going to miss all of it. So are you up for that? Okay. All right. Genesis 2, 5 through 17. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed out of the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, 
Bedelium and Onyx Stone are there. And the name of the second river is the Gion. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flowed east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, let me just give you a warning. If you've been here a lot, you've kind of gotten used to the way I'm doing this. And so typically when I'm giving a sermon, uh, I'm weaving application as we go through. Today's going to be a bit different. I'm going to primarily spend most of my time explaining what the verses are saying. Now, I know from a lot of you, some of you like just, David, I just want you to tell me what the verses are saying and don't worry about application. And some of you are like, I just want more application. And, and so if Here's what, if you like a lot of application, uh, you're going to have like a little pity party um, for the be- beginning half because I'm mostly going to focus on what the text is saying, but towards the end, I'm going to show you how you fit into this painting. So I'm painting a picture, and I'm going to paint you in at the end, and you're going to kind of feel like, but what about me? Where am I in this painting? I'm going to paint you in the end, I promise, okay? Deal? So right now, and, and, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to paint the picture really fast, and then I'm going to show you how all the Bible verses are supporting what I just said. And when we get to that part, it's going to be so beautiful. I think, I think you're going to think that. So right now, picture Eden as a mountain garden. Temple at the top of it, this is the place where God is most present. And then below this mountain garden are these chaotic waters. So, in Genesis 1, God's forming the earth, and it starts out as these, this chaotic sea. It's, it's painted as void and chaos and darkness. And then later, the sea becomes referred to as the place where there is evil, there's danger, and there's death. This is kind of like, these are, this is referring to the enemies of God. And then, here's what God does. He pulls land up out of the seas, and what this is doing is it's signifying protection and peace from the chaotic waters. And by the way, there's a way that you can look at the whole earth, because the earth is round, so you can't like look at the whole thing, but there's a way you can look at it where if you unfold it the right way and lay it out, it actually looks like one big island when you look down upon it, if you lay the earth flat. Now, I know the earth's not flat, okay? But if you lay it flat, you can see the earth, and it looks like an entire island has been pulled up out of the waters by God. And so there's this large island, and at the center, on top of this mountain, is Eden, And it's the spiritual center, and this is where God is most present. This is where he is most known. This is where he is most experienced. Eden means delight. It's the center of goodness, the center of life, the center of peace. And then, on the mountain, God makes man out of a, listen, this is important, out of a combination of, of this water that is built, like filling up below the earth, like this underground spring, the combination of this underground spring and the dust of the ground, like mud or clay. And then from this special underground water, a river forms in Eden, and as the river forms, it goes out of Eden and becomes four different rivers. And, as, and here's the thing. So Eden is where God is most present. And as the rivers are flowing out, 
They're getting further and further from Eden, further and further from God, and they're becoming more and more chaotic until they dump into the chaotic seas. Okay, you've got that picture? Now, here's why that picture is so important of these four rivers. Those rivers are foreshadowing what humanity is about to do in the very next chapter, where humanity rebels from God, leaves Eden, and the further and further and further they get from God, the more they become themselves like this chaotic sea, all the way until they find themselves in a flood of death, the chaotic seas of death. And what's happening is people are being seen by, in Scripture as these chaotic waters. So you have this chaotic water of death, but then you have people seen as these chaotic enemies of God running from God, and then the waters of death swallow up these enemies, this chaotic people. But here's what happens. This is the beautiful thing. God goes down the river. He rivers down for us. And he finds us in this chaotic sea of our sin, and he sets himself up as a mountain for us to climb up upon. So he's essentially made Eden mobile because he has come for us, and we climb up this mountain, and we're with him. But the end of the story was never meant to be Eden going out, but us coming back to Eden. And so what happens now is that God, as this mountain, rivers us back to Eden, where all things are right. And then what we find in Eden at the end of this whole story is that there's no longer any seas, meaning there's no longer any chaotic waters of sin and death and destruction and danger. Now, if you're a surfer, you're pretty upset about this, and you say, oh no, this is figurative language. There's definitely a sea in paradise. Well, what the point is, is that this is no longer a place filled with chaos, suffering, and death. It's a place where things are the way they ought to be. All right, now some of you are dissatisfied with me telling you that, and you want me to go on to applying it, but I'm telling you, if I did that, you would miss so much of the beauty of what these verses are doing as we're going to walk through it. So I'm just going to walk through and prove to you that what I said was true. And you're going to see the beauty of the Bible. And also, you just shouldn't trust me that much to just say something without me proving it with Scripture. Okay? So let me prove it to you. First, I want to prove to you that humanity is like this special water. Because if you've read the Bible a bit, you're saying, wait, I thought humanity was made out of the dust of the earth. Yes, out of the dust, but you've got to read carefully. So this, out of this ground, there's this special water bubbling up out of the ground to cause this river. Now, in Hebrew, the word for this underground spring is, I'm going to, odd. Not odd, but A-D. Say it that way, okay? That'll be the translation. So that's the word. Now, what's the word for humanity? Adam. Adam. What's the word for the ground? Adamah. So look at what you have here. You have the spring from underground. You have the ground, the dust of the ground, the dirt, and put them together, sandwich them together, and you have Adam, Adam. And so what you have is humanity is formed from this special underground water and the dirt forming this clay-like substance where God is the potter and we are the clay and he's formed us. Okay, keep holding on to this imagery of this water. And now, so you say... 
What did she say? That was so cute. So now, from the temple, there's this, or this Eden, there's this river that's flowing up out of the ground. It's bubbling up. This water's coming up out of the ground. It's creating one river in Eden. And then this one river flows out till it becomes this chaotic sea. Now, I said before, this is foreshadowing of what humanity's going to do, where humanity's going to run out into this place of suffering and pain and tears and death. So we say, okay, prove to me that the waters is humanity. Prove to me that these waters are representing what humanity does. Well, okay, I will. The word, when it said these waters are dividing into four, the word for this, it's always used when it's talking about humanity dividing. So humanity is going to divide, and it's always that. Now, this is the only place where it isn't talking about humanity dividing. So we're made up out of the, the special underground water, and it's referring to a word that always talks about humanity dividing. So therefore, the logical conclusion is that this is people who are leaving Eden, leaving paradise, running from God as far as they can get. And the further they run, the more chaotic it becomes. And they find themselves now in the floodwaters of suffering and of death because they have run that far from God, and they literally become consumed by the water that they ran to. But then, listen, listen, then God comes to the aid of his people, and he raises up a hero. He's always doing this over and over and over again, and he, when he does, he, this mountain is formed. So all throughout the Old Testament, you keep seeing these temples form, and they're always forming on the top of a mountain. Huh, that's interesting. God has come to rescue his people as they are drowning in the waters of suffering and death, and he raises up this mountain for them to climb upon. Though the mountain is not Eden, it has whispers of Eden. There are whispers of Eden now even for us. As God comes for us. The values of Eden, like love and joy and peace, standing up above the waters of suffering, destruction, and death. Okay, now watch. Here's some examples. Let's walk through Scripture. So let's take Exodus. Let's take the story of Moses. Moses is calling his people back to God, and so they escape from slavery in Egypt. But as they're escaping, the Egyptian warriors start coming for them. And so they, a very big problem happens they get to the water, they get to the sea, and behind them there's a sea of enemy warriors, the Egyptian warriors coming at them. And so they have this chaotic water, literal chaotic water in front of them, and this figurative chaotic water of humanity coming at them to destroy them. And so then God comes, as he does, to the rescue of his people as a mountain. And through his breath, he breathes the waters back so that humanity, so God's people can walk through this chaotic waters and get to the other side. And then watch what happens. As soon as they pass, these waters, the chaotic waters of death, come down upon the chaotic waters of evil. It's exactly what happens on the cross. Christ is crucified. He enters into death, and by doing that, he's destroying evil. He's swallowing up evil and death by entering into it. I mean, the Bible is genius. I'm just getting started. Psalm 18, 
David says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress. I'm saved from the enemies below. And he actually calls them water, like the people are waters. And again, showing that we become like chaotic waters. And then he says, the cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assail me. But in my distress, I called on the Lord. He heard my voice. And then, here's, the, here's what you got to hear. The earth rocked and reeled, and he bowed the heavens and came down. And then verse 16, he says, he brought me up out of the waters. He rescued me from my enemies. Okay, so this is proof. He's coming as this mountain. He's bowing the heavens down and coming, and we're climbing up upon him. Psalm 46 says, even though the mountains give way, God will be our fortress and our rock. This is saying, hey, there's all kinds of mountains we can go to that are not Christ, that are not God, and they will always crumble. They will always fail you. There is one mountain to climb upon, and that is Christ. Isaiah 2.2, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted above the hills, and nations shall flow to it. Now, the word here is is river, but it's a verb, so they're rivering back. So now we see somehow God's people are rivering back up the mountain, going in the opposite direction towards Eden because they are obeying the voice of God calling them. And that's the thing about God's voice. It's powerful. It calls us. Joel 3.18. And then back in Eden, we shall see the dripping of sweet wine, and the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and the fountain shall come up. Okay, so fountain, this is talking about Jesus. Okay, come on, stick with me, stick with me, stick with me. I know you application people, you're like, come on, get to the application, and you're having a little panic attack there. We're almost there. So now we're moving to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 10.4, Jesus is called the rock. What is, it, what is that referring to? Well, when Moses was taking his people through, through the sea, and then they're in the wilderness, they get really thirsty, and there's nothing, no water for them to drink. And so God says, go to this rock and strike it, and when you strike it, water will flow from it. Interesting. So it's like this tiny Eden that is struck, and as it's struck, living water comes out of it. John 4, in John 4, Jesus tells the woman, that he, is a, he will give her a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Eden has come. Now, come on, guys, stick with me. It's going to get really, really, really good. John 4, John, John 2, Jesus calls himself the temple where God is most present. Mark 4, Jesus comes and calms the raging sea, meaning we're like these humans, but we're the sea. We're a sea of humanity. We're a sea of evil. And so God is calming us, meaning Christ is coming, and he's calming the raging sea inside of us where we want to run from God. And he's turning us into a still water that wants to run back to him. And then Matthew 14, if this one doesn't get you going, I don't know what will. Jesus goes, Jesus is with his disciples, and he goes up upon the mountain to pray. And he tells his disciples before he goes, take a boat and go to the other side. I'll meet you there. Now, he's going up where? Up upon a mountain. So the presence of God is Christ. He's going up upon the mountain. Okay, that's Eden there. Where did he send his disciples? Away from the mountain of Eden. So they're leaving. And guess what? As they get further and further away from Christ, guess what's happening to them? 
the sea is becoming more and more chaotic that they're in, and the wind starts howling at them, and the seas are erupting at them, and then what does Jesus do? He comes out, and he walks upon the water, and as he's walking upon the water towards them, he gets to them, right? This is God rivering back towards us to come get us, and he calls Peter out on the water. Peter goes out. Now Peter is rivering upstream. He's This is disobeying the rules. We're not supposed to get back to Eden, yet somehow Peter is by faith. And then Jesus gets in the boat. The sea calms. Now, this is not by accident. Jesus is not simply trying to show off that he can walk on the water. He's saying something to us. He's telling us, I am the king of heaven who has come. I'm the king of Eden who has come for you to bring you back home. And then the very last imagery we see in the entire Bible is in Revelation 22. Do you know what the last picture that we get in Revelation 22? Do you know what it's a picture of? It's a picture of Jesus sitting upon his throne. And do you know what's coming out from underneath his throne? A river of life that waters the entire earth gives life, eternal life to all the earth. And then, guess what? There's no sea, meaning suffering, death, evil, pain. It's been swallowed up and is now gone. All right. What does this mean? What does this mean for you today. Well, think about what the waters are. The waters are anything that's keeping you from God. So to boil it all down, what are the waters? The waters are the sin inside of us, but there's a lot of ways to think of sin. Here's how to think of sin. Think of sin as your propensity to want to run from God. So here's how, here's how it happens in my life. I have these sins in my life, and I know God's saying, stop it. Like, come back to me. So I have an option. I go to my sin or I go to God. And I feel this inside of me where I don't want to give these sins up. And so I turn to the sin instead of God. Do you see what that's doing? That's sending me down the river further and further from God. So what, what are the sins that you have? You know what they are. Don't say them out loud. Just what are the sins that you have that are making you No, I want God, but I want the sin more, and I know that if I'm going to go to God, I have to give up the sin, and so I'm going to pick the sin. What are those for you? Because whatever they are, they're making you run, run from God. But he is the gracious mountain who has come for you. While you're in the sea of your sin, but often, so he comes for us, right? So you're, you're in your sin, and you're like, oh, I don't want to go to God, and he's coming, and he's tracking you down, and he's coming to you. And, but you have this propensity to run from him, and you know that you're suffering in the chaotic waters of life in this world, and so you've got an option. You have him as the mountain, but remember, we saw that verse that says, but you can have other mountains, and so guess what we do? Because we have a propensity to run from God and from Christ, we look for other mountains to climb up. And all, those, all of those mountains will fail us. So there's something that Jesus talks about more than anything else, and I think there's a reason why he's doing it. 
I think he's doing it because we have a tendency to make money our mountain. Meaning, we have suffering in our life. We have pain in our life. We have this, or we have this just idea of what the good life is and how are we going to get it? How are we going to get the good life? Well, we need more money. And so we want to save money. We want to do something. We have this car we want to get or this house we want to get. We have this life that we think is the good life for us. And so how do we get it? Well, we have to use money to get it. And so we start piling up this mountain of money in order to that, for that to be the thing that we climb up upon to keep us safe in this world and safe in this life. You know, we always... In, Again, Jesus talks about this more than anything else. We always say, man, rich people, you know, they're not happy. Money doesn't make them happy, but we don't actually live like we believe that's true. We live in such a way that we think money will make us happier than God. So we pile it up, and we have such a hard time being generous with our money because every time someone's in need and we give them money, guess what that means? Our mountain gets smaller, and that means the dangers of these waters are going to rise up and get us. So, we have to hoard it. And this makes its way into the church. I mean, I know you guys have some probably experience, like you're sitting in a church and you're like, man, they're talking about money in such a way that it feels like that has become their mountain. It makes its way even into the church, this type of thinking, because we're mistaking the true mountain from false mountains. Okay, here's what else you can go to. You're building this mountain. You can go to your good works, or you can go to other religions. So, I'm gonna do, I've never done this before, but I'm going to, and I have horrible handwriting, so if you're way far in the back, I'm sorry, but you'll get the idea. So, Here's how we want to think. God is up here. We are down here. And every other religion says, here's a ladder for you to climb. And if you climb this ladder with enough good things that you've done, you're going to get up to God. In other words, God's up here, and here's Eden up here. And you just take yourself, you do enough good stuff, and you'll get up to God. I'm telling you, look at every other religion. That is what it says. Christianity is absolutely unique in that it says this. God's up here. We're down here. God comes down the river for us. Or, yeah, down the river for us. And he gets us. And he enters all the way in to this chaotic waters of death. I mean, he is entering in all the way. He's entering into the flood, this like eternal floodwaters of hell. He goes all the way in to get us out, and then in the resurrection, defeats death, so now we're happy, and then he lifts us up to God by the resurrection. He rivers us back to God. So we're not getting there. He's getting us there. He is the rescuer. And, and here's what else happens. Every other religion has some type of Eden up at the top. And it always, it's always much, it's, it's never the real Eden. But let's take, let's take Nirvana, for example. Nirvana, this idea, this is the Eden. So we're getting to this false Eden, and, and here's what it looks like. It has hints of Eden, but it's not fully Eden. Sometimes it's the opposite. Let me show you. In Nirvana, there's no suffering. But there's also no desires. There's there is 
this whole, like, you're, you're not even becoming a person anymore. In Eden, there's no suffering, but guess what? Your desires are turned up to a thousand percent, and every single one of your desires are completely satisfied and fulfilled. And you become more of who you're made to be. You, the version of you right now is turned way down. The version you're meant to be is turned way up to a thousand percent. That's what the true Eden brings us to. And every other religion is saying, here's the rules or the strategies in order to get up to God. Here's the path to God where you follow all these rules and strategies, and if you can obey them enough, you can get up to Eden. But in Christianity, Eden is too wonderful for us to earn. It has to be given to us as a gift by God coming and rescuing us, and us by faith climbing up him, the mountain, who takes us back to Eden. And then, okay, let's get really real. I know, I know you guys... And I know a lot of you are going through difficult times and there's pain and there's suffering in your life and we all have it to some degree. And what's happening is the waters are like reaching up, like hands up out of the waters, grabbing at your ankles to pull you down. That's life in the world, this world to varying degrees. And you're grasping for anything to keep you from drowning in these waters. Anything you can find. Any type of mountain. Go to Christ. But look what happens. Martin Lloyd-Jones, preacher, he's dead now, very faithful preacher, man of God, says, Christian people are generally at their best when they are in the furnace of affliction. Why would he say that? Why would Christians be at their best when they're suffering? Well, think about it. So suffering is this water, right? We're in the, we're in the midst of suffering, and there's, there's these waters, and there's a mountain, and let's say we come to faith, and so we've climbed up upon the mountain of Christ, but we're not too high up, because God is way up at the top of the mountain, and we have this propensity to run from him, and even as we're Christians, we don't want to get too close, because it's going to change everything for us if we get way too close, and so we stay kind of towards the bottom of the mountain. But guess what? The waters of suffering start rising, and they're pulling at your ankles, and so what do you do? Well, the water's rising, and so you climb up the mountain. And the water continues to rise, and you climb higher and higher and higher up this mountain. And then the suffering, the pain, the affliction gets so bad that you go all the way up to the top, and you're sitting the throne of grace where there's Christ. And you're experiencing him in a way you have never experienced him before. And you're experiencing the love that he has for you, and the joy of receiving this love, and the peace that he has for you. All this is happening, and at some point, the season will pass, and the waters of suffering come down, but guess where you are? You're up at the top of the mountain with your Christ, with your God, with your Jesus, and you have all of that love still, all of that peace, and all of that joy because of you've experienced this love, and that's not going away. But the suffering has subsided because the waters have come down. And had you not suffered, had you not been in pain, you never would have gone up to the top of that mountain. It was the pain 
that pushed you up the mountain. Closeness never would have happened because we tend to stay so far. We have a propensity to run from the greatest thing that's ever happened to us. And there's going to come a day when he brings us all the way back. And what we find is we are now in Eden. And the rivers, the special water coming up out of the ground, our Christ is sitting upon his throne and the rivers are coming out, pouring out, giving life to all the world, real life. I mean abundant life. I mean the life we were meant to have. And there is no longer any sea of suffering, death, crying, tears, pain, gone. That's the story that we're in. But you've got to climb the mountain. Father, we thank you for this. And we pray now that we would see the beauty of your word and what has happened and how you have brought us up upon this mountain. And God, I pray for the people here who are suffering and in pain, God, that 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 suffering and pain would not be useless, but it would drive them up to the mountain of you. And they would know your presence in a way they had not before. And I pray that would happen right now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we have, we're going to receive communion together. And, you know, there's a little bit of a mixed metaphor here. His body is broken, his blood is shed. But actually, I think there's a connection. I think there is. So, his body's broken now. His bones are never broken. We know that Jesus' bones never get broken. It's actually in a very important part of Scripture. But there's a place where he's up upon the cross, and there's a spear that is stuck into him. And when this happens, do you know what comes out? Blood and water. God has been struck, the rock and water comes out. Now, this actually can happen. There's a special place, if you get poked there, water will come out, but that's not the point. The point is that he himself is the living waters that wells up to eternal life when he is struck for us. So let's think about that when we think about communion. Okay, so what we're going to do is I'm going to break the bread, and we're going to do the cup, and then we have places right back there and right back there, and what we're going to do is you just take the bread and you dip it in the cup. But here's what's important for you to know. Every step that you take towards that bread and that cup, that is a step of you climbing up that mountain by faith. So this is, this is a move of, I believe that this is true. And this by standing up and walking over to take the bread and the cup is you standing up wrapping your arms around the mountain of God and climbing him up into the presence of him where you find the throne of grace. Okay? So if you're going, go knowing that. All right, so the night when Jesus was arrested, he took bread. He's with his friends, his disciples, and he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you so that you might have life, take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup, and he poured it out. And he said, this is the cup of the promise that I made to you long ago, that I would come and I'd bring you back to Eden.
Let's pray. God, we pray now that your spirit would be present among us and that these words that were spoken would not be some distant idea, but they would be words that are true for us in the story that we're in. And we would see that you, you are the God who's come for us. And you haven't left us in these waters, but you have scooped us up out of it. Even as we were swimming away from you, God, and you threw us up over your shoulder and you carried us up the mountain. And we thank you for that, God. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.